welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we begin at the ending as we uh, take on the stand. Yes, we do. Uh, before we get started, how was your week? Uh, my week was a little less uh, exciting than last week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, it was a good week. I had a really good weekend, too. How about you? It was good. Uh, It's been busy. I'm going out of town for the holiday. Right. And uh, that means that this week is shortened. And, of course, whenever I have a shortened week, everybody wants an additional thing. So, Well, we have a short week. Um, You were working yesterday. We're recording. uh, Generally, we record on the first day of the week, uh, work week, and we we're a little postponed. Yes, typically record on Mondays, mm. giving me plenty of time to edit. This is Tuesday. This is a Tuesday record. Tomorrow I'm supposed to go out to dinner with our roommate for her birthday, mm-hmm. which is the following day, but I'm leaving that day. And I'll be going out to dinner with her on that day and giving, you know, having Because it's important that adults have as many days in their birthday as possible. It is important. So Adults that, have so little left. Yeah, yeah, I guess maybe that's it. So that scrunches everything, but hopefully I'll get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does make a little alteration to our schedule with the stand, which is for next week, we are also only going to talk about one episode. Okay. I don't know that we will continue to only talk about an episode at a time, but we're going to go ahead and do the first two episodes as two discrete episodes of our show. Uh, because, well, first of all, we've only met a couple of our characters, so yeah. there will be more intro in the next one as well, and I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Also, it's a holiday. I'm gone. Yeah. All kinds of things. It seems happening. like we've only met really four of the characters that are going to be really important to the story. Yeah, we've seen a few more than that, but we haven't really gotten mm. into it. So... With that, you want to get started on sure on this recap? It's going to be a weird one because, um, as yeah. I told a friend, if I hadn't seen the first version of The Stand, I would have no idea what was going on. They have made what I would refer to as an interesting timeline choice. Mm-hmm. The first thing that we see is... Some of our characters already in Colorado doing body disposal. Mm -hmm. So then we have flashbacks to the beginning of the pandemic. That's the other thing. Y'all, let's just talk about this real quick. All right. Uh, We would love for you to watch this along with us. It's on uh, Paramount Plus, uh, previously known as. CBS All Access. Uh, It is a nine-episode series. It is about a pandemic that ends the world. Right. And we are in months 18, 16, 16 to 18 (laughs) of a global pandemic that has not ended the world, but changed the world profoundly. And in some... In some ways... In a lot of ways has ended the world, or for a lot of people or families, has ended the world. So if you cannot bring yourself to 
watch this. We completely understand. We totally understand. This is it's very weird. It's um I am yeah. baffled that they continued this on its regular release date. Well, I, I, I it's like watching The Towering Inferno right after 9-11 or something. It's yeah. very weird. There's too many similarities and it draws parallels to things that you've seen and it the is, situation, particularly in Manhattan, that, that's what it kept drawing me back into. Yes, yes. You know, um, bodies that have to be disposed of, no space for them. It was pretty terrible. Yes, and we had these same instances happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode, or these episodes... The first one uh, was released on December 17th, 2020. Yeah. I wonder how long those decisions took. Yeah. The decision to... I don't know if it's a sunk cost fallacy or what, but the decision to take this piece of work that they had completed and then release it in the middle of the pandemic. They could have just held it. They could have shelved it. They could have shelved it literally forever, but they could have shelved it for a year. There was a lot of weird decisions being made in this period, um, pandemic period, because uh, with the shutting down of theaters, of course, there was people choosing whether or not they're going to distribute their stuff through cable. Of course, yeah. And then there was the question of television or streaming services being able to make up they suddenly had a captive audience. And they so, they had a captive audience. Right. They also had a finite amount of stuff to release. Right, exactly. Um, which is my sense of why they released this, yes. which was we have people who want content. This is the content that we have to give yeah. them. We got, We better give them that content. And I would argue, yes, we are starved for content. No... We are not in an any content will do situation. (laughs) So I don't know that I would have released this. I don't know that if I don't know that I would be watching this now if we weren't talking about it. I am not I have not been triggered by anything in the show. I also have not been I have been fortunate enough to not be personally affected by any deaths from COVID nineteen yet. It's not done. We're not done. But right now, as of right now, I have not been personally affected by any deaths from from this uh, pandemic that we are in. I am living under the same trauma, I think, that many other people are right. um, to an extent. Uh, and I but I, so so like I said, I haven't been triggered by anything here yet, but I still don't know that this is the type of escapist entertainment that I would seek out if we were not doing the show that requires me to watch it right now. It's not purely escapist entertainment. There's a lot more to it, but yes, the whole setting and the context... No, it's not... To me, this isn't escapist at all right now. Right. In the middle of a pandemic, watching a thing about a pandemic is not escapism. Mm. Um, I want escapism. I want to tell the boys I've loved before. I don't want... (laughs) Well, you were very fun. I think you were enthusiastic about Godzilla, which was... Yes. Yeah. And I am into Fast 9. Mm-hmm. I am very much looking forward to seeing that film. Um, the the upcoming Marvel movies, Shang-Chi, is that... Shang-Chi and uh, Nine Rings. I'm not sure exactly ten. what the... Ten Rings. Full title is. The yeah. Legend of the Ten Rings. And uh, The Eternals. I'm excited about these things. Mm-hmm. This I am unexcited about. Now, no, that's not to say that... I will say, 
I enjoyed the watch of the first episode, but it was deeply confusing. Let me give you an overall... Sure. Let me give you the one word. We, we've gone over this material before. And yeah. There's not really a great deal that happens here. No. Let yeah, me give you the, the one sentence synopsis of this episode, which is sure. called The End, airing originally on December 17th, 2020. Uh, a deadly man-made virus, quote Captain Trips, ravages the world's population. A number of survivors immune to the virus gather in Boulder, Colorado, USA. That is, in <laughs> fact, everything that happens here. Mm. Um, although. If I was to ask you to summarize this episode, you would never say what I just said. No. Because it is it is a little bit unclear that they are in Boulder, Colorado, though they are. Um and yes, we this episode is done in flashback. The the original and we will be doing a lot of comparisons also to the um original yeah. 1994 miniseries, both in form and in casting. And I think that that's just... You guys just have to get on board with that. That's what we're going to do. Uh, in the original miniseries, as I believe in the book, um, we start with the um, the young man who flees the military base where the virus is uh, unleashed, unleashed, unleashed yeah. I guess. Um, and we see him flee, and then we see him in Arnett, Texas. Um, I appreciate they kept Gary Sinise's line. They kept the line, um, "Turn off your pe- your your pumps, Hap." And then, of course, Hap going, "Huh?" and not turning off his pumps, and then. You know the the car skidding into the the gas station. Mm-hmm. Now this is a scene that we see about halfway into this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a ways in. We see the scene at the gas station about halfway in. We see the young man fleeing the incident is the last scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. So they do this episode almost entirely backwards. Uh, as I say, we meet the first person that we see of our main characters is Harold, Harold Lauder played in this one uh, by Owen Teague. He is, it just seems like a strange character to start with. It is a strange character yeah, to start with, choice. especially because he's the double agent, right? right. Like he's, and we're not spoiling that for anybody because we, you know, we know this. It, it's like, a, this, well, he's very clear. We, right. we understand very early in because this episode, even told that, in he this episode that he's a double agent. Mm, Which is kind a real of, yeah. early way to let them because we see scenes in his basement from the future, and so a lot of the suspense I felt about what was going to happen is already killed because we just. Well, are, I what 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 confuses me mm-hmm. a little bit about this introduction is Nadine is not with them. Mm-hmm. So over overall, um, we'll start with Harold is played by Owen Teague. Okay who has previously been in a Stephen King thing, and that Stephen King thing is It, mm-hmm. Chapters 1 and 2. Uh, he played Hockstetter. Oh, he's the guy who dies in the Patrick tunnel. Patrick Hockstetter. Okay. He dies in a tunnel. He is one of the minions of the baddie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has greasy black hair in that, and is younger. Uh, 
they have made him blonder or lighter haired in this. Uh, and he is a casting. I have the same. This character was played by Corin Nemec in mm, the original right. uh, miniseries, and I have the same casting issues that I had with Corin Nemec, which is Harold Lauder is supposed to be uh, overweight, acne ridden, wearing glasses. Now, how do you feel about that? Um, because I mean, on the one hand, it plays into a stereotype. It does, and so maybe that's what. The and usually, I don't that. care mm-hmm. about whether or not the person on screen looks like the person in the books. Okay. Like, I don't mind a gender, so I didn't mind that Idris Elba was the gunslinger. I like Cynthia Erivo as Holly Gibney. There are no fat people in this. There are never any fat people Mm -hmm. on television, and it pisses me off. Do I want the fat person to be the villain? No. Do I would like, would I like to see any fat people at all? Yes. Yes, I would. It's just... Mm. There are fat actors. They deserve to work, too. Like, I will say, comparative to also to Corin Nemec, I think Owen Teague is given more to do mm-hmm. and is doing more. Okay. I think he's doing a good job. He is 100% an incel. He is a creep. Mm-hmm. He is a stalker. Uh, and, of course, that is because he is a weak-willed, Young man, right. he—that is the in for our baddie, um, and it's extra frustrating to see. So we see his arc. We see the flat. We—he's on the body crew, so he is dumping the bodies, clearing Boulder for mm. them to live, which is a necessary and shitty job. And we see that he is not particularly well-suited for it, but will not give up due to a sudden sense of machismo. But we also see people in the town treating him with dignity and respect, genuinely reaching out to him, wanting to be his friend and his partner in business, maybe even. Yeah, that's something that we do. Like, he is is being treated very well, and not on a superficial level, by the other people in this town. And he is still in his head, like, but Franny won't fuck me, so I must destroy everything. He's still dissatisfied with everything. He's dissatisfied with the way he's being treated, his place in life, even though he's gradually growing in status as the story continues. So, yeah, that that was an interesting story arc for this episode. Yeah. And, like, at the we see at the end of the first day of work, we don't know if it's the first day of work, Mm -hmm. we see at the end of the first day of the we see of work, where the the foreman of the body crew says, thank you, we know, I know how hard it is for you. Mm -hmm. Also, I know, and please know that if if you decide not to come back and do this anymore, right. that is fine, and you don't have to worry about looking at me looking me in the face on the street. Yeah. I am not going to think any less of you. This is something that human beings are not cut out for, and so if you aren't cut out for it, just let me know so I can get somebody else in here right. in your in your space. That's it. And we see people tap out, and then we see them later not being shunned. Uh, but he won't tap out, even though he vomits pretty regularly. And he does end up saving somebody's life who almost tips into a mass grave that they have dug. Yeah. Um, and that is the man who then wants to... He wants to right. start a... He, he, this guy is getting gathering DVDs, and he wants to start a 
a movie theater once the power is up and running at the amphitheater in the in the town, which sounds lovely. Yes, it does. And it's like I'm looking for a partner, and I'd love for it to be you. Like he genuinely is reaching out, and meanwhile, all Harold was like, nah, 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 and I'm not fucking somebody, so I must murder everyone. And I'm just like. Well, I'm his, over it. His issue seems to be <laughs> that he can't get exactly what he wants and he doesn't understand how to change those desires because what we see in the course of this episode is his interactions with Franny. Who was his babysitter, his older sister's right. friend. And how he just is constantly not only pushing his attentions on her when she's aware, to the point where I think that this actress... Um, at least as written, yeah. does a better job than Molly Ringwald's character was allowed to of just pushing him away. Pushing all him the time. away, yes. So, that, yeah, let's go to Franny next. So, in Ogunquit, Maine, that is where Franny and mm. Harold are both from, right. Franny was Harold's babysitter. So, she's, let's say, four to six years older than mm. him. That seems reasonable. Might be younger than that, but four to six for a babysitter right. seems about where we're talking about. This uh, this Fernie, uh, our, our previous Fernie was Molly Ringwald, right. who I always thought was terribly miscast. Mm. She seemed too old for the character, even though she was pretty young. Right. But was she pretty young, though? She was the right age when she was in The Breakfast Club. Right. And now it's ten years or or nine years after the Breakfast Club when the she's in her mid to late twenties, mm. and Franny should be in her early twenties. Franny should be twenty years old. Okay. And the the age difference between she and Stu Redman, Stu Redman mm-hmm. should be like a cool twenty years. Right. That's the thing. Stu is a widow. Yeah. <laughs> Franny is a very young woman. And that relationship always struck me as a little bit like, ooh. But also, not not bad, mm-hmm. but Franny buried her father, who was the only parent that we ever saw that she had, and then connects with this good-looking man who will support her and, we can't forget, her baby. Franny is pregnant. We know Franny is pregnant because we see it in Boulder. We see her pregnant self in Boulder. She is however far along she is. We also don't know the timeline between the disease hitting Mm -hmm. and when we are in Boulder. It's mushy. Well, that's kind of sometime around six months. It's (laughs) dramatized because we just are dropped in to their stories all yeah. the time. We're, we're seeing we're seeing Harold getting victimized by people. Now, mind you, that scene is interesting in itself because he's beat up by the, you know... Yeah, this is in the before times. Right, the before times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for spying on Fanny. Spying on Fanny, and, yes. um And he's kind of slapped around a little bit, and then we cut to... It's almost like we're given his whole motivation for why he does what he does. Yeah, but I don't care. Right. That said, I don't know who this is supposed to appeal to. Yeah. Which I don't think it's supposed to appeal to anybody. Mm -hmm. I think we're given his internal motivation. I don't think we're supposed to go, oh, I get his behavior now. 
but we see what what led to his behavior. Yeah, I Whether, just don't understand leading with him though. It is an uh, it's a weird choice because it's he's not the the protagonist. He's not, he's not. who we follow. We would be following Stu, I think. If yes, anything, that's the other yes. this. Yeah. Um, and we get flashes of some of the other people, like we barely see Mother Abigail. Yes. And we almost not at all up until the very end see the Walking Man right. in any representation at all. So the the prime movers on either side of the spectrum of good and evil we don't see, which I'm actually right. fine with. I almost wish we didn't see them at all the first episode, mm-hmm. but but I what I don't like is or if at any point there was a six months earlier on, put on the screen. No, this is Ellen Renee's version of of the stand where it's all done disjointed and you have to put it's together very, the story. I yourself. mean, there are clearly two timelines. Mm-hmm. We see them in Boulder, which I've got to say is probably about six months after the events that we mm-hmm. see in the before times. So we're seeing two times six months apart. Now, I do understand they released this in the pandemic. They don't want to put a year on it. Yeah. I get it. That's mm-hmm. fine. Also, this is streaming content now. It's They want to make it evergreen. Yeah. But... If you're going to put me in the middle of the boulder site and then you're going to push me to the beginning, I need a six months earlier. That's all I need. It's a little, a couple of words on a screen. Yeah. Show that to me because that clarifies where we stand and it, it puts us on less squishy ground. Mm. So Odessa Young is our Franny. As we say, we start the first time we see her, it's through a hole in the fence that Harold is looking through, and she and uh is is tending to her father who is trying to garden but is starting a cough um as you say, Harold is chased away from his looking position People. um by a couple of bullies who I don't even know if they're bullies or they're just trying to keep him from creeping on somebody, which he's obviously doing. They do treat him a little badly. One of them, it's funny because uh, one of them tells the other one to chase him when Harold goes Mm -hmm. and rides his bike away. And that kid is running after Harold, who's on his bike. Harold looks back and goes, God damn, like T2. And he does look like the Terminator. This kid's just fucking flat out running and keeping up with the kid on his bike. Harold eats it. I think, is he tripped? I can't remember. I know that it's like on the border between his house and and like a shoreline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, they're right on the they're uh, on the coast and yeah. in in a gunpit. Um, which I don't know if that's a real place actually. Uh, I'm going to presume that it isn't mm-hmm. until I I learn otherwise. Um, and you know he eats it, and then they're like, "Well, now we don't even have to kick your ass, but stay away from Franny." Mm-hmm. And then as we see them walking away. They're coughing. Right. Dad's coughing. So people are sick. Okay. So we see them. We then see a little bit later Franny looking tired and haggard. And she's burying, trying to bury her father, mm-hmm. who she has to bring downstairs. He's got a big... He's deceased. He's got a big neck. He's yeah, got that, a big neck. That's what Captain Trips does in this. Sometimes it gives you big neck. Like it, a goiter or something like that. It inflates the. the I don't know what it's. The whole to throat is inflated. Right. Later, it's horrible. Um, Cobb, one of the mm. uh, one of the, um, he's a doctor soldier, mm-hmm. soldier doctor. 
unclear, <laughs> played by Daniel Sinjata, mm-hmm. has the same, is still up and walking around with the same affliction. Okay. So this is a, a feature of this disease, it looks like. Um, and she, you know, is trying to fold him up in a blanket. and Her dad. He, yes. And uh, it's too hard for her. We see her a couple of times. She does end up getting him into the hole. She buries him. We see um, Harold, his sister, and his mom are sick when they get when she, he gets home. And then some time passes, and it turns out they have passed. And it turns out everyone has passed. Mm. They are the only... Franny and Harold are the only two remaining residents of this town in Maine. Right. So... Harold puts this plan together, steals a cop's gun, good idea, grabs a couple of motorcycles, okay idea, and goes to get Franny. Franny. His plan is to take to go with her to the CDC in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That is the plan. Which is not a bad plan. Which is not a bad plan. He goes, he cannot reach Franny. She's not answering her door. He gets worried. He breaks in. He breaks into the bathroom upstairs, and she has taken a fuck ton of pills, gotten into the bath, dressed, as if she knew Harold Louder would be the one to find her, and did not want to be nude when it happened. And I was like, well, there's way to element. think ahead, girl. Yeah. Because I think she, she had to know that that was yeah. what was going to happen. There's the element of not if you were the last man on earth. There is there is an explicit element of that. Right. I am surprised that she did not say those words to him. Um, and he shoves his fingers down her throat and causes her to vomit. We see a lot of pills. She was very thorough, but he was just in time. And so she's mad at him. She does say she's mad at him. She does. She doesn't. Like, she wants to be done. She does not want to live in whatever this world is now. Mm. Um, but then she, like, lays on him, which she should not have done. Leans on him. And then I don't she... want the visual of her laying on him necessarily. Yeah, okay, that's fair. And then she acquiesces to go. And that's the last thing we see about that of them in the before. In the after, we see Harold in his bodywork. Harold interacting with these other people who seem genuine and kind. And we see one interaction where he goes to a coffee truck and sees Franny with Stu and she That's is pregnant. The spoiler. It's just, all right. So and then he's like, you and Stu. <laughs> like all of this. Incel- it's, I mean, he is the epitome of an incel. Before there were insults, he was this way in the book. That's the interesting thing mm-hmm. to me. The book has this, Corin Nemec had it, Owen Teague has it, and now it is a cultural phenomenon that was well, built. I think the thing is that Stephen King, like a lot of, like any good writer, um, a lot of it isn't going to be made up out of his imagination. These characters are based on actual people. No, that's true. So the I mean, type that makes up this person has existed for a long time. For a long time, that's true. And so now that we have a word for it. Yeah. You know, we have a language that's around true. it. We can understand it better and go, oh, this is what he is. But yeah, it's interesting how this is, it prefigures that entire kind of I deserve better than this and yeah. I'm resentful of the fact that I don't get what I want. It's also interesting that he is the Stephen King character in this book. Mm-hmm. Or okay. in this, in this, in what we've seen so far. He's the failed writer. He's the failed writer. Mm-hmm. He's got a big 
he says it's a nail, but it looks like a fucking railroad spike on his wall that he hangs all of his um, rejection letters on. Right. Which we get a story that Franny did that for the first one because he was so distraught when she right. was babysitting because him. Because apparently she was also she doesn't even she can drive a railroad spike into an, uh, a beam in the wall. Which she doesn't remember doing. Uh-huh. But he has, that has, that is the interaction mm-hmm. with Franny that he has solidified their whole relationship around. And that is a thing that Stephen King did. He put a big nail right. on the wall and put all of his rejection letters growing up. Onto onto that. I just keep them in a folder with me all the time because that works too. So that is half of our story. Mm -hmm. The other half of our story, as you say, is Stu Redman, who in this is being played by James Marsden. In the original, we had Gary Sinise. Mm -hmm. I love Gary Sinise. I might like this casting better. Um, well, a, I, mean, I like the age difference. Okay. I think the age difference is stronger. I think I don't know. I'm gonna do some math. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna right. do it now, but I will do some math. But my guess, given workers and Molly Ringwald are now, is that their age difference was like five years, probably. I, yeah, I don't. Know. I I don't. I he's older than she is for sure, but not by that much. Um, and James Marsden and Odessa Young are like 25 years apart and that mm. feels better to me for what ends up happening in the story for okay. that relationship I think that it needs to be a very big age difference now how much of the relationship between these two we're going to get to see I don't know right Right now, we see that they've gotten coffee together, and they seem to be together, friendly at the very least. Mm. They rec- they say invite Harold over to the dinner to the house for dinner, which means they're living together. They're cohabitating. They're cohabitating, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything when you're clearing bodies out of the city to live. Maybe everyone is cohabitating yeah. because there aren't enough, you know, houses that are accessible to humans for living yet. We don't know, but we know. We know they're yeah. together. That's fine. So where do we start with Stu? Where do where do we we see him at first? Oh, he's at the first facility. Mm-hmm. That's right. The first facility, he's in a room. We see he's got some guinea pigs in there with him. Literal, literal, literal guinea pigs in the room with him. And uh, we see a Dr. Jim Ellis, who's played by Hamish Linklater, uh, come in and talk to him, basically letting him know that everyone in the town that had come in with him, and we do see flashbacks of them being forced in, mm. similar to the first one, uh, of, of the entirety of the group of people that came in with him, one young la- one young girl is still alive. Mm-hmm. And he caveats that with, she was when I came in. Oh. Meaning, she's not in good shape. Right. Um, and through Stu's entire storyline, it appears that, according to the United States government, the only person that they know is immune to this is Stu Redman. Like, 
they have they they in terms they of drop what hints right, right. that they have been un they have heard tell of other people, but they don't have access to any of them. Mm. And hey, and uh, Doctor Alice comes in. Um, he is a wisecracking dude. Mm-hmm. That's why they got who they got to play him. Uh, he says, you know, the, the guinea, we're, I'm not in the hazmat suit because the guinea pig, the guinea pigs are as susceptible to this thing as, as we are. Yeah. And you've been sharing the air with them for 72 hours and they're fine, which means I'm not going to come in here with a bunch of shit on me. But he won't tell him anything. Everything's classified. Classified where they are. Classified what's going on. Classified, classified, classified. Says we're gonna we're we need to take as much blood from you as you can stay as we can stand. Or as you can stand because you're the only person that we've seen that is immune to this. And right. Stu's like, I mean, fine. Like he's not excited about it. Yeah. But he gets it. Um they are, he is at one point moved from his facility because they have been breached. Uh, and this is when we meet Dr. Cobb, who says he's a doctor. He's giant muscle man. This is Daniel Sinjata, who is an actor who has been in a lot of stuff. And every time I see him, I'm like, yeah, but where do I really know him from? Yeah. <laughs> and I still am not quite sure. He did do an eight episode run on. Grey's Anatomy, and that might be like my base, like back mm-hmm. of my skull, brain tickling. This is where you know this man from. I don't know. I like him. I like him in everything. He's he doesn't have much to do in this. He's a big muscle man who tells, who threatens James Marsden's character, and uh, makes Hamish Linklater's character look um, small. And uh, they're they're gonna move to another facility. Uh, Doctor Ellis is more than willing to tell him tell uh, Stu things at this point because he's like, "What's the point of shit being classified right. at this it point?" Like matter. he's watching shit yeah. crumble, right? And um, but Cobb is an order follower. He is clearly in the military, right? And so he makes. Stu put on a fucking hood to go to this new facility. And I'm like, you're going to lock him inside. Why does it matter? He's not allowed to talk to anyone. Also, everyone he knows is dead. What are you... Like, what is happening right now? And uh, some time goes by at this new facility. Um, and we see Dr. Ellis kind of getting more and more frazzled. Until he comes in and he is visibly sick. He's not swollen, but his he's coughing. Yeah, his demeanor and his, his, yeah. He's sweating and he basically is like, you know, there's very few people left. The general hasn't that's running this place hasn't been seen in like 72 hours. Uh, that he's running everything from a central hub and the elevators sometimes when I push the button... They come and sometimes they don't. So the general is sort of dictating how people are moving about in the building, which is interesting given what what happens next. And he tells, you know, he's like, I don't I don't think we're gonna crack it. I had dreamed that I was gonna be the one to, to solve it and 
It doesn't look like that's going to happen because he's active, actively sick, right, at this point. Well, it seems like, I like the fact that he's given a little character there. That yeah. He was a guy that you could see representing the person's trying very hard to get this done. And yes, there was an element of his own vainglory of, to Yeah, it. of vanity to it, which right. I think, I think you have to have, there are certain jobs mm-hmm. where you have to be a little bit, not vain. Mm-hmm. But confident in a way that may seem right. off-putting. Like, I almost think, like, like, okay, this is going to be a weird tangent, but, so I just watched all the Ink Master. Y'all, okay. I caught up. I'm done. I'd love for them to make another season when it's safe. No, you do. Uh, but you... for now, I'm done. I caught up. And uh, it always floors me when they accuse tattoo artists of being cocky. And I'm like, I kind of want a little bit of cockiness because your art is going on my body forever. So I need you to be a person who feels like, well, of course I'm not going to fuck this up. (laughs) I I think also with artists, they need to have some level of confidence or else they're just going to be bad at what they do. Yeah. But it's also professional athletes need to, at some level, be really certain of themselves. Yeah, you have to have, even if on the inside, mm-hmm. you aren't. You have to portray that. Like, it's part of the thing. It's right. part of it. So, if yeah, if you're a person who cures infectious disease, I feel like you've got to have a little bit of cockiness well, I feel like you. that would be a good motivation, too. What? If you just sort of felt like this is mine to cure, then... Mm. Without hoarding information, that's the trick. Like, you can't be. I'm the. I am the. I am the sole salvation. I alone. Because yes, I alone is a big problem. Uh. So. Stu is like, well, am I gonna die down here? Because mm-hmm. he's in the like in the bowels of a government facility right. that he doesn't even know where he's at. Um, actually, that's not true. Linklater did tell him that he was in Virginia. And he said, isn't the CDC in Atlanta? And Linklater said, uh, or Dr. Ellis, I should call him by his character name, says, you know, I don't know that we still have control. And so when he comes down sick, he's like, we haven't, we don't. Shit's bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, shit's bad. Wait, and then following him with his shit's bad uh, revelation is Cobb. It's not much of a revelation. With his fat neck mm. and his anger and a gun, which is fun. And uh, he comes down and he wants to just, he feels like he, or I guess it might be his order to kill everyone, which is a wild order in a situation like this. Like, haven't enough people died? No. Uh, And he ends up shooting Dr. Ellis in the chest, which allows Dr. Ellis to not die choking in his own phlegm, which is what he did not want to do. No, nobody wants that. Um, And then at that point, uh oh Ellis had given Stu a scalpel wished it was something better to defend himself with but that's what he had and he and uh Stu cuts Cobb's throat which is ugh 
But it's nice because he had a big prosthetic on there. Good easy to aim. Movie magic. Also, there's an element of... Yeah, it was just gross. It was gross. Yeah. Um, And then we were like, pick up the gun, pick up the gun, pick up the gun. And, of course, Stu is not an idiot and was in the military at one point. uh, Picks up the gun and uh, is ushered to the elevators by a disembodied voice. Hey, that voice sounds familiar. Is that the voice of the peanut M&M? Is it the voice of State Farm Auto Insurance? <laughs> is it the voice of Not My Tempo? Yes, it is. It is the voice of all of these people. It is J.K. Simmons. Yay! In a role uh, played in the original uh, miniseries by Ed Harris, uh, who's very good at looking at a screen and looking concerned. Uh, and he allows Stu to come up to the main control room. And uh, Stu's like, gets the lowdown, which is basically seven billion people are dead, and the last time that they have heard anything was several days ago. So, two days ago, two days prior. They've been reaching out via their various communication channels and have gotten no response. So... Stu's like, so you're going to kill me? And the general is like, well, general, his name is General Starkey, is like, I have no orders when, uh, as pertain to you, and enough people have died. Right. Uh, and he goes, so Cobb wasn't one of yours. And Starkey's like, I actually don't know who Cobb, like, right answered to and Starkey's a four-star general we hear on a couple of occasions mm. that's about as high as you can go yeah which means Khan must have it must have been chief chiefs of staff or the president himself well I like th- i think that also people at this point in this chaos um are not necessarily going to be respecting orders well that was the thing that's the thing that Starkey says you know Cobb is the kind of man who follows orders even after orders stop having Mm -hmm. any rational sense to them. Um, And, you know, he, Cobb, or Starkey tells Stu how to get out of the building and basically wishes him well. He's got a sniffle and he decides to end his life. He shoots himself in the heart in front of Stu. Oh, yeah, that just... Um, which Stu doesn't watch, and we don't see, mm-hmm. which, which is nice. Because we've just seen a man stab in the throat, so we're, we're good. Yeah, and then we see um, Stu escaping out of this facility. underground facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see, and in the midst of the conversations with Ellis and the conversations with Starkey, we see that scene in Arnett, Texas, did you right. touch Campion? Did you touch anybody else in the car? Um, you know, and, and we see that scene where this man is driving up. He is sick. He is swollen. He is leaking from mm. all of the things on his face. Uh, he is desperate to know that his wife and baby are okay. They are not. <laughs> they are not okay. Uh, so that is very similar to the scene in mm-hmm. the original, uh, with one significant difference, and that difference is 
it's a black family and not a mm-hmm. white family. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't know if I want to put... I mean, fundamentally, right, that this virus was made in a U.S. Um, right. military facility. So it's the entire military that is that is at fault here. Well, but to, to put um, the spread on a black man is well, okay, so a choice. The... Um, the virus here mm-hmm. I mean it's a military weapon I'm imagining that goes awry presumably and so the I feel like there's enough colorblind casting in here to where I don't feel as like suspicious about that move right uh, that move um, also I uh, I like the fact that it's not entirely the fault of the man because for the first time we see that's Randall Flag yes open that's the door true. for him and, yes, and actively he participating is, he is there he is the one who is supposed to initiate the lockdown, uh-huh. but the door, the automatic door, sliding door, gets jammed, mm-hmm. and he is given enough time to think about his wife and think about his baby, yeah. and that's he only needs that three seconds that that thing is jammed to to Give run, him the motivation and then him. yeah, we pull back and we see that foot, mm-hmm. and that foot belongs to the walking man. Randall Flag, the devil, maybe, um, <laughs> and and then we see him hitchhiking when the family is on the run. Mm. Uh, they do not pick him up. <laughs> uh, so we only get the very briefest of yeah. of glimpses of him. The other person that we do see is Mother Abigail, played yeah. in this version um, as Whoopi Gold by Whoopi Goldberg. Played in the original by the inimitable Ruby D. Ruby D. Mm-hmm. We see, we hear Whoopi in two dreams. We see her in only one of them. And those dreams are had by Franny and Stu. Yeah. It is unclear when. Presumably at the onset of the, of the, the epidemic. Rather, I don't want to refer to it as a pandemic, just because we're in a pandemic, mm-hmm. and I don't want to get confused. At the onset of the sick, of the the Captain Tricks trips yeah. epidemic, um, but it's unclear. Yeah, it's just unclear. Uh, she's in a cornfield. She says, "Come to Hemingford Home, Colorado." So they've moved it from Nebraska to Colorado. That's fine, um, and uh, presumably they do. But she, we don't see her as a character in here. And as I said, one of the weird things about the Harold Louder attention is the thing that keeps him in Boulder and then pres- keeps him moving is his association with Nadine. Mm-hmm. And I had remembered them knowing each other before they got to Boulder, but maybe not because she is going to, we're going to see her with Larry in the next episode. We have not met them yet. Yeah. Um, so that is going to be an episode two, presumably. Um, but the lack of her makes the attention on him odd Mm. because she is pivotal. Yeah. He is, I would argue not generally, I mean, he is a catalyst to some pain for our characters mm-hmm. in about three episodes from now. But 
on the day to day, I don't, I don't really understand why we open with him. Maybe it'll make it more sense a, as we go on. It was on. a very weird choice, but, um, but I, I don't know. What do you feel about it so far? So far, I am enjoying it. It is, it is because I know the story. I was less confused, mm-hmm. but I'm like, but, but so my confusion isn't what. But why? Yeah. Like, I'm still left confused, but in a different way than I would be if I didn't know this story. Yeah, I I don't... I like the fact that the segment involving the government is actually much smaller than it was in the original stand. We're not treated to scene after scene after scene of military figures losing their bearings and their grip because... We in just the have the one scene that J.K. Simmons is right. in and kills. But we did have a lot of, out that of the, in the original film. It just sort of, you know. Yeah. And um, as though we needed to place a blame. I guess right. they may have eased back on that. Right. Just given the fact that we are in a pandemic, the origins of which is still being debated, yeah. that, you know. They don't want to it's a military weapon by the United States. Let's leave that or there. Or be read as endorsing someone's particular, sometimes extreme views. So mm-hmm. I think that was they were steering away from that. But I like the fact there was less an emphasis on that because when that was the focus of the first episode of the first adaptation, it just began to bore me because I, I don't care. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, the choice to lead with Harold and sort of build a story around him and his adventures or misadventures, almost as if, I mean, the only way I can see that it would really work is if we pretty much drop him as the focus of interest for a couple of episodes and then we come back. It makes sense to spend all this time with him in the beginning, but being that he's not, I mean, like you said, he's a, a pivot point for the, the direction of the story, however... He's not one of the characters that we still have yet to meet that makes such a difference for yeah. the survivors of the human race. Yeah. No, yeah, he's he's a boil on the ass of the Boulder color, right. colony, and, I, and, I, I, and it's weird to start with him. I have to say that I appreciate how much the casting has changed. I remember, and I, I think I mentioned this when we first saw the original stand, uh the original adaptation that when it was on television, I was working for Oakland Unified Schools and uh, inner city school, it was predominantly African-American and East Asian. And the black kids coming up to me and saying at the end of the miniseries, so there's no black people left on earth? And I That's, didn't look Yeah, one. Solamente uno. Right, because I think... That, and she's know, 108, so... Well, she dies, though. Not for long. Oh, yeah, I guess she does. She yeah, dies, so does the judge, in that yeah. case, that was played by... Ozzy Davis. Yeah. And so there's a... Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah, that it was husband and wife team, Ruby B and Ozzy Davis. But yeah, it just... It, they were looking at me like, well, what does that mean? There's only white people left in the world. And so I'm glad that that's Nothing not, good. I'm glad that that's not going to be a factor for audiences looking at this version. And Stephen King doesn't seem to particularly mind if you change the casting. He was writing what he knew in 1978, I guess. And so... Um, it's a different world now. And when you update the story, you can change things like that. Yes. Um, and we will see some of some more of that in the next episode um, with the casting of Nick and mm. uh, Larry. But we won't get into that because we haven't watched the next episode. I haven't seen Larry. So I what I can say... Oh, I do know that we heard his song. They are not using baby... 
Can You Dig Your Man. They yeah. are not using well, the same song that they used. I don't know if... It, I don't know if... I don't... Um, I am pretty sure that they wrote a new song. I don't know if they'll use any of the... Because in the... They used the song that Stephen King had written for the in the book mm-hmm. for the 1994 movie. The book was written in 1980. The movie was made in 1940. What? 1978. Oh, even that. Okay. So it was even older. Even older it, than that. It, it was meant but to it be was, like an R&B song. Yeah. Or, it just, yeah. it didn't work. And, and I'm like, please, please don't just have us. Here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Stephen King is a writer of novels, not a writer of songs. <laughs> he is a player of songs. He is an admirer of songs. He is a listener of songs. He is not a writer of songs. Hire a writer of songs to write the song that has to play over and over in yeah. your thing, which I believe that they did do and will do. So um, that is that. So, yes, so comparison-wise, we've got the Coronemic Owen Teague. I give one to Owen Teague so far. We've got the Gary Sinise versus James Morrison. I'm preferring the Morrison. Uh, We've got Molly Wingwell versus Odessa Young. Once again, I think Odessa Young, especially because of age, uh, is a better choice here. Then we've got the Mother Abigail. Ruby D is Ruby D, and I love Ruby D. A lot of people want to focus on, or wanted to focus when uh, Whoopi Goldberg was cast, that she doesn't look old enough. I would argue nobody who's not 108 is going to look old enough. And then I was like, why didn't you get Cicely Cicely, Tyson? Cicely, yeah. Cicely Tyson to do it? Because um, she's as close to 108 mm-hmm. as you're going to get in Hollywood. She would have been amazing, too. I do appreciate that she doesn't look the way that Ruby, they aged Ruby D oh, incredibly, right? And and that comes from the book as well. But it also comes from Stephen King, who was born in the 50s and whose vision of an old black woman is very much a mammy figure. Right. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but black don't crack. And black women... Mm-hmm. Older and older do not look like walnuts. Right. That is the picture. It was this woman that looked like a walnut, that looked like this completely wrinkled, shriveled woman. Angela Bassett's in her 60s. Like, I mean, older black women don't look the way that the image of an old black woman in our mythology, our fucked up American mythology. Um, And so I like that we've got a stronger looking. Also, if you made it to 108, you're probably pretty hard. It's interesting that you mentioned Cicely Tyson, who unfortunately has left us. Yes, unfortunately. Um, But she would have been a good choice. The odd part is when you mentioned 100, she, she died at, what, 96? Um, she, the first part I saw her in, she was very, very old. She was doing, or at least the first I remember of the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, when she was playing this absolutely ancient woman who is recounting her past and her coming out of slavery and things like that. Mm-hmm. 
And so, yeah, I had that picture of her in very heavy makeup, which I believe was done by a really young Rick Baker. But when you look at right. Cicely Tyson at 96... She did not look like... She looks better than I yeah. do now. Yeah. She did. She looked better. She has passed, so... Yeah. But, like, she looked amazing up until she stopped making public appearances, which was not that long ago, yeah. right? And she did die at the beginning of this year. So, I right. mean, she could have been, I, if she was, I don't also, know that she question. was still working. I remember Christopher Lee talking about, Christopher Lee knew Tolkien as a huge fan of Tolkien. Uh-huh. And uh, he read the Lord of the Rings over and over and over again. He didn't take, he was offered the part of Gandalf, but he just felt physically at his age at the time that it was not realistic for him to be doing this. Uh, he took the smaller part of uh, Saruman. Okay. Um, right. Because that would demand less screen days. He wouldn't have mm-hmm. to be traipsing all over New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And it was a villain part, and everyone remembers the villain, which mm-hmm. was his whole race on Dutch. But, yeah, it would have been interesting to see another actress who... In this part, I have only seen Whoopi Goldberg in possibly less than five minutes in as Mother Abigail. So. Yes, le- much less. We've heard her voice, mm-hmm. and I will say she's aged her voice. She is doing some... She doesn't sound like she sounds. Mm-hmm. She's almost doing a little bit of a Ruby D. She's yeah. not an impression, but... Ruby Dee had a very particular way of speaking when she played Mother Abigail, and I do think that Whoopi Goldberg is taking a little bit from that, especially in the voiceover. Yeah. Um, Whether that continues when we're watching her speak, I don't know. And it might only be my brain interpreting it that way in the voiceover. It could also be pushing out her natural accent. That's true. Which is something that, that she, Whoopi Goldberg has, and that she pushes, you know, she's trying to distance herself from that to play a different kind of character. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I want to yeah. see what else she does with it. I'm, I'm curious to see if there is, and maybe just because it's Whoopi Goldberg, some element, to, some leavening of humor yes. in her performance. Because she, Mother Abigail isn't unfunny both in the book and in the original right. thing. So, yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Mm, yeah. And then the other one, of course, is Alexander Skarsgård versus Jamie Sheridan. Right. And Jamie Sheridan made a meal of this part. And right. so far, Alexander Skarsgård hasn't spoken. Yeah. Really. No, not even really. I don't think no, he's spoken yet. I just, so, yeah. we don't know yet. And Alexander Skarsgård, I think the best thing he has working for him is his physicality. He's a he's very a tall, very tall man. man. Yeah. And so, I think that that could work in his favor. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean... He's, and he hasn't done Stephen King stuff in the past, but his brother has. Yeah. His brother has done a number of things. His brother was the new Pennywise and uh, the kid slash angel right. in the um, Castle Rock series. Yeah. So we have a familial relationship, but not a direct relationship. So that's that. I'm... I'm excited to see what's next. Yeah, I'm interested. But I am puzzled as to why they've made the decisions they've made. And I can't answer that question until I've seen more of it. Yeah. And I might not even be able to answer that question then. But I am grateful to know the story a little bit because I do think I would be... Let's see. I would be very confused. And I don't know that I... If I didn't know anything about this story 
and this was the first episode, and I couldn't go on to the next. I don't know that I would. I I I, mm-hmm. I I think it's confusing. We have a mutual friend who gave up after the first episode just because they didn't like being along with the ride on this guy with this guy. Um, yeah, Harold Louder's a tough. He's a tough. He's a tough intro. That's a tough intro. I if you want to do these two storylines the way that you have. Mm-hmm. Stu is a much more reasonable right. entrance. Like, give yeah. me your hero. Don't give me your not villain villain. Because mm-hmm. he Harold's not the villain. He's a villain. Yeah. He's a villain in his own mind. Well, but he's also uh, a petulant child. Jesse who, Eisenberg in the... the as Lex Luthor? No, in the Facebook movie. Oh, Zuck. You're not the villain, but you want to be. Yeah. You know, he wants giving... Except he... I mean, he will be. Right, but he's... He's just being manipulated by forces that are much smarter and who read him like, you know, a book. They oh, know yeah, what his needs are. They know that's what his the other are. thing about, about mm. that character that I don't right. love, which is... Anybody could manipulate him yeah. so easily. And I don't know men... I mean, I okay, I know there are men like this. I don't know any men like this. Yeah. At least not outwardly, which mm-hmm. means I don't think I know any men like this. And I would like to believe that they're not so one-dimensional. Maybe they are. Maybe that's me wanting to believe more of human question. beings. But... He feels very flat to me. Yeah, I shy and away dis- from flat and distasteful right. in a way that I'm just like, why, why am I with him? And then Franny, who clearly, right, like she's not pleasant so far. Right now, am I saying she should smile for Harold? No, no. that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying I don't really have an in with her character at this point. Uh, well, it sucks that her dad died point, and that she has to right. deal with this dude. But other than that, I don't. I'm just like, mm, whatever. At this point, I don't have a lot of sympathy with her. Uh, well, I'm expecting that to change. Hopefully, it'll change. Yeah, I shy away from dealing with men more than I have to because there are these people who you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And then it turns out they are that kind of person, and they often, I don't know if I can say they're that flat and one-dimensional, but I can say that the the thing I don't like is that you never know when you're dealing with one. Oh, okay. So maybe they are more mm-hmm. than just that flat, because I feel like I would know if I was dealing right. with one. I, was, uh, I remember once doing... Um, like, this is very much a man who refers to women as females. You know what I'm saying? I remember dealing once with, because uh, I, I do a lot of involuntary mentoring is the best way to put it for off for other writers and running into one who just had no idea how deeply seated their really disturbing views were and it kept coming out in the material of like do you you know you're representing a kind of character or is this you and it turns out this was them but um but yeah you never know what you're going to get and that's why i stay away from people Gotcha. All right. So next week, as I said at the beginning, we're only going to watch a single episode because holidays. Okay. Uh, so we're going to watch episode number two. It's 
called Pocket Savior. It was directed by Tucker Gates, and it aired originally on Christmas Eve last oh, year. So that's what we're going to do. Um, and we'll talk about it next week. In the meantime, do you have anything that you would like to recommend? Um, yes, actually. I've just started a new television program with with uh, my roommate, Emily Armstrong, called The Mysterious... Don't talk to me. I'm joking. Benedict Society. <laughs> um, and I'm really enjoying it. Yes. Uh, it's a Disney Plus show. It uh, is based on a book series that is super fun. Uh, children's book series called The Mysterious Benedict Society. Shocking. Uh, and we started watching it, and it's fun. It's cute. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't want to spoil any of it. I don't people. know. Yeah, it's... It's yeah. a lot... It's really enjoyable. There's... Uh, Puzzles. Yes, four kids who are called in to uh, fight against it. And it reminds me in some ways there's elements of things like uh, A Wrinkle in Time to it. Uh, yeah, I could see that. In, in that there's some sort of force pushing people unconsciously to do wrong things, and the mission is to stop the force from operating. And in this case, it's also weirdly timely. I'm not sure if they're leaning into that. Yeah, in, yes, in in a in a way that is similar but dis- different than right. the stand is weirdly yes. timely. Yeah, um, or timely because the the villain really is pushing subconscious messages of panic and fear to the entire world. And, these kids have to stop the the program or the broadcasting of panic and fear through subliminal messages, and uh, and the kids themselves are really great. The kid performers, they are so far so good. Yeah, enjoying. So I'm really enjoying it. I'm also now going to uh, transition to every time I, I do martial arts, I will yell karate before I do anything. That's your new kiai. That, that's my new kiai. Before I do any one move, <laughs> I will have to yell that. Just to give everyone fair warning, or maybe they'll run, I don't know. But I'm really enjoying the show so far. We're two episodes in, and it's really fun. So do you have anything that you... Do I have anything that I... Would like to recommend? I like the Mysterious Benedict Society. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'm halfway through the third To All the Boys I've Loved Before. I really am liking it. I don't want to watch the end of it because then the series will be over and I'll be sad. So uh, I recommend just watching the thing. Okay. <laughs> just watching the thing. Like, whatever the thing is that you've been putting off, just watch it. I hadn't started the third one for the same reason that I'm not finishing the third one. Mm-hmm. But while I was watching the first hour, I was like, I really like these movies. Well, so... Yeah. Just watch the thing, because here's the thing. I could die in three and a half minutes, and then I'll never know how the story ends. I think I know how the story ends, though. This is I mean, I'm not saying, I'm just thought. saying, it's just, yeah. if you think the thing is going to bring you joy, do the thing. Because tomorrow is not guaranteed as a pandemic in real life and an epidemic in the fake life we're watching mm. will prove out. So, if it brings you joy, do the thing. I also um, recommend not, not, not lighting off fireworks in yeah. in um, 
in West highly Coast. flammable areas like the entirety of the Western United States. Chill out, West Coast. You don't need the fireworks. I say that as I am going to a friend's house and we will be setting off fireworks, but mm-hmm. he lives in a, commu- in, a, in a housing development with no... There's nothing. There's no vegetation of any sort that will mm-hmm. be infected by this. Um, but I, I know that's not going to be the case for anyone, and I know that people are going to lose their homes because people want to make things explode. And mm. I I recommend not doing that. <laughs> That's if you what I recommend. something explode, don't start with your home. Or somebody else's home. Mm. So I want to wish our listeners a happy uh, Independence Day. Yay, America. Mm. May the future of America be more independent than the past of America, and also not getting vaccinated doesn't prove your independence. Just proves that you're stupid. I'll say it. I just, uh, you don't have it in you anymore? I don't have any patience in me anymore. I don't have the ability to argue with people over just being rational. Um, I don't have the ability to be patient with people who are either explicitly, excuse me, explicitly or implicitly uh, see me as an existential threat to them so that I have to be eliminated. I can't do that anymore. There's nothing left in me for that kind of ignorance. I'm just, yeah, I'm giving up. Yes, and the weird sort of privilege that we have in America to just be like, no, I'm good on that vaccine when the rest Mm -hmm. of the world would give limbs to yeah. be vaccinated. It's just a hubris I don't understand. Um, and if I can get vaccinated and, and make myself safe for other people, why wouldn't I do that? Why wouldn't I do that? I'm not a monster. Uh, so that's, I believe, is that. Uh, until next week. If you have questions or comments or concerns, or if you know why they've made this weird choice to start with Harold Louder, uh, get at us on Facebook um, by searching for the Latecomers Pod. You can find us, uh, you can email us, latecomerspod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Next week. Stay safe. We're if you have a pet. Get your medicine now because they are going to be traumatized this weekend. Be nice to your pet. You never know how long they're going to last. Wow, that's a bummer. I was just saying. No, I'm. I'm I saw an, a good thing on on uh, Facebook yesterday going around that was like, if your pet is in- anxious because uh-huh. of fireworks, today's the day to oh. call your vet, not on the third of July. I have a couple of friends, some of whom I know, one of whom I know, one of them is a Facebook friend, who are both losing their pets. Right oh now. yeah, no, so that's just, terrible. Yeah, be be nice. Well, I'm sure they're nice to their pets. Well, they but, are. Yes. But all of you in the audience, be nice to your pets. Be nice to your now. pets. Now. <laughs> or apparently he's going to come and find, find you. you. And find he will you. yell karate, so you'll know. know you have that warning right before it happens. <laughs> I remind you to take your medicine, and we remind you better, better late than, than never. Karate. <laughs>